0: Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything foreign policy has to offer.
1: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Philosophy for Our Times, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. In this week's episode, we're looking at the science behind monogamous relationships and asking the question, have we as a species evolved beyond them? Here to debate the issue is author, journalist and broadcaster, Helen Coridan.
2: I think actually monogamy is unrealistic.
1: Relationship psychologist, Susan Quilliam.
3: At heart, we all want somebody to rely on. I think we're drawn to monogamy, even if we get sometimes distracted.
1: And anthropologist, Kit Opie.
4: Primates are essentially relationship animals.
1: Robert Rowland Smith hosts.
5: Clearly, whatever else goes on in the experience of love and falling in love, it is, there's a certain kind of deliciousness to it. And I guess, uh, you know, our, the first question we're going to go into is, you know, whether love does actually complete us. I wanted to ask you, Helen, whether the other forms of deliciousness, whether riding horses or whatever it might be, are they really comparable? Because I mean, I got the sense, and I'm saying this slightly to provoke you, that, you know, love is just one of many. You know pleasures that we might indulge in but there's nothing special or particularly delicious about that kind so how would you answer that isn't that the best form of completion that there is
2: I definitely you know love is probably the, the deepest form because it's so powerful because there are um, powerful hormones at bay and um, I write a lot in my book about the chemical dopamine having this role when we fancy someone and you go it makes you literally quite loopy and these experiments have been done on couples that have gone in brains couples who are newly in love or even just if you have a crush on someone you know that we all we're all familiar with that feeling aren't we those like fervent feelings and um, when these uh, individuals with a crush or couples in the honeymoon phase of romance go into a brain scanner and their brains light (laughs) up with the same parts of their brain light up as um, a coke addict would if they're craving their drugs so really when we're fancying someone or when we're in that early stage of romance we are actually just acting like a crack addict so that's dangerous because that is not a natural and persistent state it is also dangerous because it dilutes our achievements to date and the things which really make us fundamentally the more stable forces that make us happy small things like how we want our house to be how we um, how often we want to see our friends all those things that we've created in our life and to then base your fulfillment on meeting someone and on merging your life with someone I think that actually doesn't do justice to the things that we've individually made our personal forms of commitment.
5: Thank you. Is that where the notion of vocation comes in too then? The idea of, you know, you don't necessarily have to choose one thing or another, but you must choose the thing by which you are called.
3: Yes, I think so. I mean, what was coming up when Helen was talking was that there's been a deep belief in marital therapy, or partnership therapy, over the last hundred years to say that, yeah, indeed, love does complete us, that by finding a partner, we come together and we find our twin. The latest ideas are saying that that is dangerous, as as you said, because if we say that we are dependent on somebody else for completion, then the whole thing becomes very demanding, and we need that other person to fulfil our every need, and we need to make sure that we fulfil their needs, otherwise we are disappointed. The latest ideas are suggesting that It's not a case of we lean on each other and we are complete. It's we are individuals, and to support each other and to be maybe sometimes more fulfilled, we lean in. But to lean in too heavily and to expect completion, to expect completion of ourselves to our partner, is actually a real trap.
5: Well, I'm going to pick a little bit of a fight with you here. Please do. Uh, Because, I mean, you began by talking about, you know, your generation, your mother's generation, and society's changed a lot, and, you know, choices available to you now weren't necessarily available before. Well, what if I sort of turn the same argument back on you and say, well, Susan, you know, you're talking all about the individual here. You're just subscribing to a new doctrine of individualism here, just because that's where the world is now. So uh, why is what you're saying just another a sort of advert for self-interest?
3: When I first talked about vocation, I was talking about, do you thrive? But I also added immediately afterwards, and does your partner thrive? And I think I said, correct me if I'm wrong, that does society thrive by the contribution we make? So no, it's much wider than self-interest. Okay.
5: It struck me listening to you that actually there's no space at all in what you said for love at all. You're not talking about love, you're talking about... Uh, evolution, evolutionary choices, functional needs, uh, evolutionary moves that we've made, and uh, chemical substances. But it seems to me there's no room at all in what you described for love. So the question, does love complete us, is sort of, doesn't it really come into your worldview at all, because it would be superfluous.
4: Well, I I mean, I was going to take Helen up on uh, what she was saying about, you know, these drug-induced falling in love as being unnatural. Um, It is the most natural thing. The way that evolution has found as the best way to ensure that uh, individuals uh, pass on their genes into the next uh, generation. Primates also are essentially relationship animals. We only exist in relationship. So the very earliest Um, primates 75 million years ago were individuals they lived on their own they only came together to mate a typical mammal way of doing things but primates in the main then switched they became social and they only exist as part of a society small scale for many primates and much larger for us but we only exist in relation to the other people around us. But I think it may be seen as kind of evolutionary and functional and so on, but our our purpose here is really about passing on our genes. That's why we're here. We have four billion years of history getting us to this point, which has always been about passing on genes to the next generation. And I think that's where, actually, we find fulfillment, is in passing on to the next generation. And we can choose you know, all sorts of different ways of doing that. But if we do that with, as I say, someone that we love, someone that we want to do that job with,
5: then I think it has something special So what what do we think? Are we uh, bound to be monogamous, really? And you're kicking against that?
3: I don't think we're bound to be monogamous. I think there are already a whole variety of choices. Um, You know, the figures on infidelity uh, show that. I think that at heart, we all want somebody to rely on. I think we're drawn to monogamy, even if we get sometimes distracted. And I I work therapeutically with clients. And very often the most pain is brought either because the relationship is failing or because the relationship is surviving, but only at the cost of one or the other partner having other partners. I'm not saying monogamy is best because I think we all are now in a position to make our own choices. But I think there's something deep inside us that wants to turn to a partner and say, will you be there for me? Can I rely on you? And that's maybe something that can
2: only be done in a monogamous relationship.
5: Mm. What, what are you thinking um,
2: Well, I think when we we're in that... Um uh, and I, I, sorry if I keep referring back to this early honeymoon phase of romance, but I think it's very important to make the distinction between like long-term love and, and early honeymoon romance because I think they are entirely different. And we tend to, when we talk about relationships, we tend to think of them as one and the same because we sort of want um, we want like both in one. We want to feel. Um, Love and devo- long-term love and devotion for someone, but we also want the butterflies. and And I think actually we perhaps need to adjust our thinking or adjust our perspective on relationships to think of them almost as two different things. So when you're in that early honeymoon phase of romance, most of us only have eyes for that person. So in that respect, monogamy is natural. I think because I think it's very natural um, unless you are some egotistical maniac that just can't get rid of tinder on your phone you know, i think most people when they do genuinely when they are genuinely falling in love with someone they are just sexually into that person however when the problems start happening or when the battles happen it tends to be after several years think and that's when i think actually monogamy is unrealistic we don't want it to be because we we still want to be with one person we want to be loved and we want to love but you only have to look at the evidence across history and particularly now I think the reason why it's such a bigger problem now it's not so much the sexual monogamy it's the social monogamy in that can one person meet all your needs and why that is such a bigger challenge now is down to a number of things firstly we are more independent generally we have the younger generation now anyone from like 40s downwards has probably lived away from home before they've even contemplated marriage. They've lived with flatmates. They form their own patterns and and habits. Um, The second thing is we are just much more transient. We don't stay in jobs for as long as we used to. We travel around more. We go traveling. We have aeroplanes that can get us to the other side of the, the world in less than 24 hours. And the other thing is we have the but the internet, which has just made it so easy to form new social groups, and I'm not just talking about making it easier to meet new people online in a dating context, I'm meaning just opening up a very niche social group. The reason that's relevant is because it's making loneliness less of an issue, I think, or, or social contact is now less of a problem. So we need relationships less than we used to and it's those three things those three key changes in society the fact that we're more independent we're more transient and we have um the internet has allowed more social reach that has made relationships more fickle because we don't actually need them as much
5: and I wonder if in a way you're leaving the door open for an argument for serial monogamy I mean if that is I've always
2: I, I think we are actually as humans we're not designed for life Long monogamy, I think we are designed for monogamy, but a series of long term relationships.
5: Why would that not be compatible with what you're saying, or is it? Um,
4: I, I think it, it, it actually is. Hunter gatherers, the way in which humans lived for 95% of our evolutionary history, live exactly like that. So relationships are much looser than uh, we currently conceive of until now and are not necessarily for life Uh, so women have a lot more power in those societies there is a lot more equality which is what I think we're starting to experience in our society I think we also have to consider the challenges to the current welfare state for example I mean it in, in the pre-welfare state, being in a relationship perhaps wasn't so much about love, it was more like an insurance policy. I mean, if you if you were likely to get old on your own, then you would die very uh, early, or and uh, probably quite horribly. And if we're moving to a situation where you know currently the welfare state is challenged, we know all the difficulties about looking after uh, elderly people uh, and so on. Then you know we want to spend our life in a way that also means that we have a long and happy life right until the end. Um, And to fill fill that with people who might provide some kind of care, um, and I think the best candidates for that are someone that we're in a relationship with and our children. Um, They're they're probably the the very best people uh, to look out for us um, as we get old. and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface
5: level. I want to ask Susan as well, particularly about this question of serial monogamy, because I assume, I'm, without giving any confidence as a way, that in your kind of psychotherapeutic work, it's a subject that crops up. Uh, so can you just tell us a bit on you know, whether that is, appears to be a satisfactory model for people
3: or not? I think sometimes it's satisfactory, sometimes it's not. Certainly, while the expectation up to the middle years of the 20th century was one relationship. I mean, my grandfather had five children, and then his wife died at 26 in childbirth. He never married again. Um, my parents were married for 40 years. They didn't expect uh, to have relationships within that. Nowadays, the average is about five major Committed relationships. Um, I'm not going to go into what committed means, but there's a big, important relationship. End of teens at school. There's another usually live-in relationship during the 20s that can blend into or can be left for a parenting relationship in the late 20s through to the 30s. 40s, first divorce, new relationship. And then the later life relationship for often companionship, but actually companionship with a vocational aspect, you know, that people in the later life are going to thrive in relationship and they're giving as well as taking. So yeah, five, I'm not saying there aren't other relationships around that, but five serious relationships. We've got
2: a lot to look forward to, basically.
3: Yes, we have.
5: (laughs) Well, this kind of moves us on, actually, to the final... uh, of the three questions which is about alternatives to monogamy and maybe we'll just pick up exactly where you were there uh, Susan so and again if you think about some of the clients you work with and the kind of stories you hear what's the question here I guess the question is what sort of variety of relationships do you see how much are those driven by what you're sort of implying there, demographic changes how much are they sort of conscious choices and are people happy
3: Uh, I think there's a hugely bigger variety than there were because we have more choice and because if you have a relationship, it isn't necessarily going to end in having children together, willingly or unwillingly, and therefore it's possible to separate and move on. So I think there's a bigger variety. I'm not sure that people are happier. I hate to disagree with Helen, who is a long-time colleague, but I think people have not left loneliness behind. I think that we you know that the whole flux in society, the fact that we can have divorce puts an essential insecurity into relationships. So there can be, I wouldn't put it as strongly as desperation, but there can be a deep need, which maybe there wasn't in smaller societies without the flexibility and without the internet. But yet yeah, no hugely bigger variety. I'm not sure that's solving the problem.
5: What about open relationships? How many of those do you see and how successful are those?
3: There's two sorts of open relationship. There's a relationship where A wants an open relationship and B agrees to that. And there's a relationship where both A and B want an open relationship and they make it work. I think the first one is doomed. I think the second one can work. And I see more examples of that. I still think there is somewhere in there a need to have a person that one can rely on. And maybe that's met by more than one person in different contexts. Maybe it's met by one person.
5: What about you? Does your See, I, sort of theory um, account for open relationships or not?
2: Yeah, I, I think we've got to be very wide on the label of this. So I've, um, I've researched a lot of alternative relationship model, modern models of relationship. That was the exact thing I wanted to look at with with my book because I wanted to question what sort of relationship do I want. So interview loads of people in all sorts of different uh, models, and open relationship is. We, we have this view of it that it means that, you know, you can sleep around or people have different partners. Actually, it could mean a lot of things. It could mean simply that uh, you are in a committed relationship or marriage and after a certain, you just give each other a holiday. Now, I spoke to, to one guy who said that he was in a marriage, he was faithful the whole time, and he said he just, he was fantasizing about um, women because he, cause he stayed faithful and um wanted to stay faithful but it was driving him mad he was just he was fantasizing about loads of women and he sort of he said one day can we just have a holiday and it wasn't then that they entered a lo- an, an open relationship they just decided to experiment one day and have a holiday but I guess that is a form of open relationships so you don't tell us about the hol-
5: what was involved in the holiday <laughs> involved involved,
2: <laughs> well um, get
5: on a plane as get well get the
2: book it's in <laughs> But I think you know the point is you can we can define relationships how we want. We don't even have to call it an open relationship. We don't even have to call ourselves swingers or polyamorists or or all these other labels that we have. I think we're in a modern world now, in a modern culture where we are able to and we have to define a relationship in a way that suits us. So personally, I. Um, do I've now reached a conclusion where I think I do want uh, a long-term relationship, and you know, after years and years of writing books called "Screw the Fairy Tale" and saying I don't want that, I think I do. But what terrifies me is this idea that, um, gosh, that pa- what you know, am I still going to feel passionate about something after someone after like five, six years? So rather than being scared by that, I think we should all just be open to the idea that perhaps. You can either, you know, a holiday is one solution or um, just, you know, there, there are, what I'm saying is there's a myriad of possibilities that most of us don't think about or don't dare to think about. I don't think it puts us into a box of swingers and open relationships if we do dare to experiment with those things.
5: Let me ask you a very old-fashioned question then in response to that. Are there no moral parameters around any of that?
2: Honesty is, is the biggest... Um, the um, promiscuity itself or um, sex with multiple people itself I don't think is a moral issue as long as you're being as long as you're being honest with those people and you're not manipulating people's hearts and you're you're being um, safe from a um, from a physical point of view I don't think that I think the morality comes in how honest you're being with your partner and likewise I think if you can communicate to your partner that yeah I'm really scared of monogamy, or actually, oh, yeah, I am having fantasy. I still like, I still like you, I still fancy you, but hey, I'm having fantasies about other people. I think a real healthy relationship, you, you should be able to talk about that.
5: Yeah, okay. Well, I wanted to pick up on this with you, Kit, because um, in a way, you know, we're talking about rapidly changing social practices, particularly in this part of the world, and I know it's not by any means universal. You know, we're, we're in a particularly liberal part of the world and a liberal part of a liberal part of the world here. <laughs> um, so, how do, we, how do we kind of work with those two time zones, because we're in an evolutionary time zone at the same time, which obviously has a very different pace to it, doesn't it? Yeah. So how do you correlate those two things, you know, what Helen's describing with a kind of timeline that you put on changes?
4: Well, I, w- I want to bring a, a note of caution, because uh, I don't think we can escape our evolutionary past. We are you know, Darwinian animals. And it's all very well to say that, you know, we have choices, we can, we can do what we like. We need to look at the facts. And if we look at what happens to children in households where the, the biological father is no longer resident, then those children are up to 40 times more likely to experience some kind of abuse, leading potentially up to um, infanticide. Um, And we all know the cases like Baby P, who then turned out to be Baby Paul, uh, and then there were interviews with Baby Paul's uh, father who said, if only I'd known, I would have done something about it. And I think that's that's a really key point Because monogamy is there on the basis that it is a protection against infanticide amongst all large-brained primates, of which we are one, then we can't move completely away from it, thinking that there's not going to be any backlash. There is going to be a backlash, and it's going to hit children. And that doesn't mean that couples need to stick together through thick and thin, even if they hate each other if we're going to have you know maybe these five serial monogamy relationships men in particular need to know that they need to stay in touch they need to have full and proper relationships with their children, and they need to not have complete blowouts with their ex that make it impossible for them to to continue having relationships with those kids. I mean, even if there is actually no physical abuse of those children, there is also evidence that you know they do worse at school, they do uh, they have more difficulty with relationships afterwards. So I'm very happy that people kind of talk about all the possibilities and all the different relationships that they can possibly uh, get into. But remember why we have monogamy
5: in the first place. Thank you, thanks very much. We've had a very broad ranging discussion already. You know, we talked about vocation. we talked about cherries on the cake, you know, individual choices, uh, monogamy, infanticide, uh, different ways of sort of navigating the world that we're in. Please uh, show your appreciation for our panelists.
1: We hope you enjoyed this podcast, brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. So what do you think? Is monogamy dead or do monogamous relationships serve our biological interests? Let us know by tweeting at II underscore TV with the hashtag philosophy for our times.